Clear Eyes Full Shelves, and we are back with podcast episode number 13. Oh my god! Although we've recorded 14, I have one that I still need to edit, <laughs> and also find, figure out where I saved the audio on my hard drive. Um, <laughs> so, um, our podcast, anyway, <laughs> and uh, we're having, we've had a little bit of a hard time getting going. Yeah, um, little, well, you know, it's been a really long time since you and I just did one, just one-on-one. Yeah, so we've been sitting know. here for an hour chit-chatting and realized we were supposed to start recording yeah. this an hour ago, and, <laughs> you know, but no special guests this time. I, I know you, you guys are okay with You this. all have become accustomed to a certain level of um, podcast quality, but... <laughs> We, we assure you we will be just as dazzling and interesting as our special guests. <laughs> we will try our best. But um, we are going to talk about a topic that was Laura's idea. That and I, think I don't even one really know what to call it. So I think it's one after I describe it, if you guys have any ideas, you can like tell us in the comments. <laughs> anyway, um. so this podcast is inspired by Louis C.K.'s appearance on... Did we decide if it was Conan or Kimmel? Because I don't I know. I think it's Conan. Okay, we think it's, it's we Conan. Think it's a show we don't watch. Yeah, one of those talk show things that I don't watch. Um, anyways, <laughs> so Louis C.K. went on one of these shows and gave this talk about how he basically thinks smartphones are evil and ruining the world. And... I think there are a couple smart things that he said and a lot of other things that I do not agree with. And we're going to talk about well, it in terms of books and, you know, maybe not books too, but... <laughs> well, and we, um, we ended up discussing this at our book club a little yeah, bit last Lisa weekend. Yeah, brought it up. Yeah. Actually, was it Lisa or was it Jen who brought it up? I thought it was Lisa. I can't remember. I could anyway, be wrong. someone in Someone in our book club brought this up, um... You know, just sort of in the context of teenagers and the sort of way there's, like, a whole life inside your phone. Right. That, you know, those of us um, in our book club who were a bunch of oldsters, we didn't really experience. Yes. Um, As teenagers. As teenagers, yeah. So, um, there's, there's some stuff there that's interesting. Yes. So, we have mixed feelings on the subject. Yes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Like I said, I don't really know what to call this topic because there's a lot in there to talk about. So, one of the topics that he kind of goes into is about people not wanting to be alone and using smartphones to avoid seeming like they're alone or to keep themselves occupied or I don't know if he thinks that people are like afraid of themselves or afraid of appearing to be by themselves in public or exactly what the problem was but he seems to think that people are using smartphones as a crutch to not face themselves or something like that and that's not something that I wholly agree with yeah I mean I do think I think people I think people do um, use phones sometimes in ways, often in ways that are not healthy, Um, you know, particularly, you know, oftentimes to, you know, avoid social interaction, but I don't think that phones are the catalyst for that behavior. They're simply a vehicle, and it's the same, you know, because I grew up before there were smartphones and people did things to avoid social interaction yeah. before they had the tool of the smartphone. Yeah. They so, just maybe would sit in the basement and use a desktop computer or... <laughs> okay. So, or even before computers. They would do you know, crossword puzzles. Yeah, or, or they something. would read, you know, their, you know, they would read their epic, you know, sci-fi, you know, trilogy and not want to, you know, interact yeah. with people. And I don't, I mean, I also think that there's a, there was an interesting, I'm trying to think of a way to say this doesn't make me sound like an asshole. Um, there's, there was an interesting way that he, he talked about, you know, people are afraid to be alone in their sadness. Yes. And I think that's, that's an interesting thing that's come up a number of times in the last year or so that I... Yeah, it's not something that I agree with. I have a real problem with this notion of, 
I mean, this is kind of going off of the already off the subject of the idea of technology, but this, you know, Matt De La Pena wrote that piece in the New York Times. About melancholia. About how, about how melancholia is, like, sort of the natural the state, default. Of, state of being for humans. And, um, you know, I feel like that's the subtext of what Louis C.K. was saying, too, yes. is that, like, effectively part of being human is learning to be miserable. And it's something that I have... I... I I have an issue with, I guess, is, um, and it's something that, I mean, maybe that's true for them, but it's not something that is true for me, I would like, I would Yeah, say, I mean, it's not know? true for me, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, like, I'm like an, like a massive warrior, and all of, like, you know, that sort of thing, but even, like, in my sort of, like, I'm, like, obsessive worrying about everything, because I, you know, I'm kind of crazy in that respect, um, even with that said, like, I don't necessarily think that is the best way in which to function, and I do my best to not function in that way, so, because I don't necessarily think it's, like, the healthiest thing, and I feel like both, like, Louis C.K. and, like, the Matt De La Pena, and there was one other story that came out. I don't in the remember. in between those two things, yeah, that had that same subtext that like the thing that's wrong with people right now is that they're afraid to be miserable as they should be. Um, is it that bothers me? Yeah. And I, I'm not sure if he was trying to say that he thinks that being sad is the default, or that people need to learn how to be comfortable with themselves. Because if it, what he's trying to say is that he thinks people should be comfortable with themselves, then I agree with that. Yeah. Um, that's something that I'm a really big believer in. Um, and it's an idea that, you know, being comfortable by myself and I am comfortable by myself, but that doesn't mean that just because I'm using a smartphone in public that I'm trying to hide from the world and avoid myself and avoid my inner feelings and my inner sadness. That's well, Those two are not connected. They're not, they're not, it's not a, it's, it's not a cause effect kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's like, it's like correlation does not equal causality. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's, and it's, you know, just as, you know, technology can be a very dividing thing. And I mean, it can. I mean, yeah. that's, it can be a way to, you know, sort of put up barriers with other people, but it can also be, and this is the thing, whenever we read these critiques of technology and, um, I think also in, we're going to talk about a little bit, this sort of idea of like nostalgia lit. So we're actually going to relate it, this podcast, to the overarching topic of our blog. Imagine that. (laughs) 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 So stick with us. Um, Um, it can also be, you know, technology can also be a way for people who, people to feel connected both not only feel connected, but actually become connected. And yeah. I think that's something that, um, and I, I, it's something that sometimes in the critiques of technology, which I think are valid, I think there's a lot of issues with technology in the way, and I think we talked about, we talked about this in our podcast with Mindy a little bit, in just mm-hmm. the way we, u- we utilize the tool of like smartphone technology and social media to sort of construct identities for ourselves that aren't necessarily reflective of who we actually are. Anyway, the idea about technology being able to connect people, one of the things I wanted to say was that I feel like a lot of people, and I feel like Louis C.K. kind of alluded to this a little bit, even though he didn't say it directly, that connections that you make with people over the internet or online are not as valid as or not as real relationships. Which is not something that I agree with at all. No, and I think actually, ah, my train of thought is starting to come back. Thank Yay. you, Laura. So I think the type where he really sets the dichotomy between quote unquote real in person human connections and online connections as being um, one is real and one is false. Yeah, and I one think is better, one is worse. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a false construct, and I think what it also feeds. This is what I was trying to think of. It feeds the um, the way as a culture we value a certain sort of um, social social interaction and a certain sort of personality type right. and sort of the introvert versus the extrovert. extrovert. I totally agree. Um, dichotomy in that because we live in an extrovert's world, we value this sort of like going to a party and socializing and in like person. this sort of like 
you know, very loud, outspoken, gregarious type of socialization. Right. And what we've seen with... Which is fine for Which is great. You know, and that's nothing what, you wrong know, with like, being extroverted. The majority so. of people like that kind of social interaction. Right. Like that, and I'm not going to in any... Or they have forced themselves to function in that type of social interaction. Right. But there are also a lot of people who that type of social interaction is the sort of thing that causes them anxiety or stress. Yeah. Or they honestly just exhaust them and it feels... Um, like, I just get exhausted in those yeah, sorts I of get situations. Tired and I feel like, in a lot of ways, when I'm in that situation, I feel like I'm more likely to put up a false front with people I don't know in person than I would be online. I am the same way. Like, I, I feel like I am more honest in my online self. I, I don't know if I'm more honest, because I'm careful with what I, I try to yeah. be careful with what I put out there, but I would say that people who know me online first are probably less surprised with once they get to know me in person or like via yeah. email or whatever versus people who've maybe met me in a social situation yeah. and then start to get to know me. Um, because I mean, I think I've got pretty decent social skills. Yes. Like I'm pretty good at faking it till I make it in pretty much any context. Yeah. So I'm like, I would say that's one of my, my top 10 skills. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, anyways, <laughs> but I, I think it definitely, a lot of what he's talking about and what other people have talked about in regard to this subject really shows that we place like a social value on a certain type of interaction and with, you know, the way people are connected through technology, yeah. it actually allows for social spaces for people who maybe don't thrive in those sorts. Right. Of, like, I've been told many, many times throughout my life, and I still get told this, that I am rude. But I that's am bullshit. Shy, I am awkward. I am snobby. I am aloof. And no, guys, it's actually bullshit. <laughs> I really try not to be any of those things, but I am very uncomfortable when I'm put in a place with a crowd where I do not know the people there, like well, it is not a comfortable situation for me, and I have a lot of trouble interacting with people. Yeah, uh, I think but when I am online or I'm just writing or I'm typing or just having a conversation online, it is easier for me to express myself. Well, and and it and you know I I teach adults, I do you know I teach do adult professional education and. I see that over and over again where I um, I have students who, if they can't, if I put them on the spot, mm-hmm. they they freeze up and they get uncomfortable. And But if they are given the opportunity to, like, sit down and, like, write down a response or, like, right. reflect on something or to have where they're not, where they're put very much in the same situation as, like, when you're online where you can, like, take a minute and, like, how do I want to respond to this? How do I yeah. want to, like, where you can... Allow yourself the moment to think about your interactions. Like, right. they will do better. And I don't think that's an, un, like, that is a perfectly okay way to be. Yes. And I think for a lot of people who are more naturally introverted, you know, because it's also the introversion, extroversion thing is kind of a spectrum. The people who yeah. serve on the spectrum go towards the more introverted scale. They, they often need, I can really nerd out about this type of thing. Um, but they often need to be able to gather themselves and not sort of, you know, it's why some people do really well in job interviews and some people yeah. really struggle with job interviews and why, like, job interviews, like, inherently favor extroverts over introverts. Right. Because, and it's the same with, like, social, like, in-person social situations, like the sort of, like, quintessential party where you're sort of put on the spot, like, you have to perform. And some right. people really love that and they thrive in those situations. And some people just really, like, it makes them feel uncomfortable and they feel awkward and maybe they're rude or they come across as rude and maybe they're just actually uncomfortable. So there's a lot of, you know, and this, the technology that we have allows us to sort of fit in spaces more on our own terms if we allow it to be that way. Right. That's not to be said. I mean, there's a lot, again, like there's a lot of instances, especially with young people in which they don't realize that they or maybe don't feel empowered to sort of set their own terms and parameters for how they interact in online spaces. But it doesn't mean that it's because those spaces exist or because the technology exists. It has more to do with people needing to feel empowered to set boundaries in those spaces. Right. That sounded good, actually. Yes, it did. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, I mean, and I was thinking about the whole introvert extrovert thing when I was, you know, pondering this podcast a little bit. Welcome to things that Laura ponders while piano tuning. This is an ongoing topic for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but one of the things I was thinking about is that. You know, I don't really know what personality type Louis C.K. is, but I definitely fall on the more introverted end of the spectrum. Yeah. And I am somebody who likes to be alone. I'm not sure if he doesn't know people who are not introverted, or, you know, or know, if he doesn't know people who are introverted. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. But, I mean... Being physically alone isn't what makes me alone. I can be alone in a big crowd. Yeah, know? I often find those... Because that's just the way my personality type is. And, you know, I spend a lot of time by myself, like, without my phone, just, like, hanging out and whatever. You and the cat. Yeah. You know, so I do spend a lot of time by myself, so I kind of, like, resent this idea where he's just made this declaration that, like, this technology is, like, preventing me from, you know, preventing me from, like, understanding myself. Yeah, and I think Just because I own an iPhone. You know, online, and again, like, things that are big online versus things that are big in real life are two totally different things, and I think that's something we constantly lose sight of. But this thing that he said seems to have really gained traction online, and, like, Mm -hmm. you look at... You know, like, if you, like, every time I go into my Tumblr dashboard, there's some quote from him right. to that effect. I mean, it's, and everyone's like, this is amazing, this is so right, and it's like, well, I think you know, if you're I an think, extrovert, that's probably very true, because yeah. extroverts are, gain energy and are very comfortable with people, and when they are alone, it is different for them. But for me, I am alone all the time. I don't know yeah. if that made sense. No, I whatever. understand. <laughs> um, yeah, if it didn't, I can just edit it out. <laughs> Y'all will never know. Um, I, but I do. I think it's really resonated with people, and I just, on a certain level, it. I mean, like my husband doesn't have a smartphone, and he's yeah. happier in his life because he doesn't have one. Yeah, because he used to have one, and because it was like a huge sort of stressor for him, and yeah. like felt obligated to it. And I, I get that, and I get, um, and I respect that. Like, I would get so mad at him for not answering his phone. <laughs> like, and it's, so it's, like, stressful for both of you when he Right, right. Phone. I mean, it, it's dumb. Like, I shouldn't have gotten mad at him. For, now that I think about it, that's really kind of an asshole move on my part. <laughs> like, you know. Um, but it's, it's, uh, and so I get why that resonates with people. Yeah. But I also think it sort of speaks to that we have a... You know, is the conversation we need to have, like, that technology is bad? Like, I feel like there's yeah. another conversation that's actually more relevant to the relationship we have with technology than yeah. do we want it or not to not. Do we like it? Do we think it's good or do we think it's bad? Or yeah. is it. Plus, like, I mean, honestly, and I'm going to sound like an asshole right now, but I do not think that what Louis C.K. was new, said was new. No. This is anytime a new form of technology shows up, the people, like, are like, banging their fists down and being like, this new technology is ruining everything about how we communicate with each other. What about handwritten letters that personally show your love for this person? You know, things like that. When the phone started or when cell phones came around and things like that. Every time this happens, somebody says something similar to what he said. This is not new. Right. And I I just, I I feel like he's really discounting the, that... I just, I can't even talk. I suck. I'm a terrible podcaster. Um, I feel like he's really in a lot of ways discount, and the people who are sort of like clamoring, like sort of beating this drum amazingly uh, while they're reblogging things mm-hmm. on their smartphone, um, that it's it's sort of missing that we give we give these sort of you know services, whether you know Facebook or Goodreads, yeah. which has been you know that's a whole other thing going to through some. Um, issues lately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we give them a lot of power in our lives when we don't need to. And I think what he, what the real conversation is really about, you know, things like, I'm going to nerd out and be like media literacy and, you know, the idea of, you know, like, 
it's okay to like disconnect and yeah. you know all of and we don't give ourselves permission to do that because we feel obligated to all of these things. Yeah. And that's you know, like I didn't post on the blog all week and I am totally okay with it. And I know a lot of people when they have blogs, like they if they don't That's like a source of stress it's for a, them. Very it really stresses them. It's not that I don't love you guys, it's just that like, I had the flu last week, and so this week I spent all week just catching up with, like, the things I was obligated to do in my life. And, like, you know, I'm sorry if anyone was, like, dying for my review of Where the Stars Still Shine, <laughs> but it, I have not written it yet, and I will write it eventually. And, yeah. You know, so, I mean, I think this, like, the, the sort of, our relationships with these things can be unhealthy, but it doesn't mean those things are, un, are inherently yeah. unhealthy. Yeah. And it can be kind of empowering to, like, sort of draw lines, like, what the boundaries are. Right. So. You know, and I feel like I really, I don't really feel like I'm dependent, per se, on any of these things. But I think I've made some really great connections through these media. Such like, as us. Us. <laughs> you know, like, Sarah and I met on Twitter. and Sarah, we, Sarah and Laura, a Twitter story. That'll yeah. be our best. Oh, memoir, our unpublished memoir, if anyone wants to, you know. Yeah, but I mean, even though we do have, like, an in-person relationship now, we still communicate via social media every day. The majority of our communication does not take place in person, you know. Um, and I don't think that means, like, and I, I think this is where, and I feel like we might have talked about this a little bit previously, Mm -hmm. but I think this is where we don't, like, I mean, you and I had been at, like, we'd been at the same events before we ever met and never met. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't know, I highly doubt we would have ever gotten to be friends if it hadn't been for Twitter. Right. I mean, I, I just, because neither one of us are people to really... Like, just go out and just randomly, randomly like, meet. pick up friends? I yeah. mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why make it sound so dirty? <laughs> no, I, mean, that's what, I mean, like, I don't know how else. Yeah, but I, mean, I think, I mean, and I was talking to somebody else about this recently, but I think um, I, the way of meeting people that is kind of accepted and favored in our society is to, like, leave your house and go somewhere. <laughs> do you know what no, I mean? I know, like, go to true. a bar or, like, join a club or take a class and meet people in person. This is what you're supposed to do to, like, connect with other people. Like, it's yeah. not healthy to sit at your computer. Like, you need to get out to meet somebody. But, but see, the problem for me with that is that as an introvert, I want to... I get along really well with other introverted people. And And uh, those people that you meet when you're out in the world, the way people tell you you should be, are usually extroverts. And they're kind of terrifying. there's nothing wrong with that. No. But I really identify more with introverted people who tend to be more like the people like me who are like, I'd rather sit on my couch and like communicate that way it's kind of terrifying like when you're friends with extroverts no offense to any of my friends who are extroverts yeah like my mom is an extrovert and she's a wonderful person you guys all know her she's sandra and she's lovely we love sandra she is an extrovert and honestly sometimes like it's like we're from two different planets right it really is because she's like like i can just sort of hang out and not say anything Right. You know, or and like, like you and I can go to a bookstore and not yeah. have a conversation yeah. at the bookstore. And that's fine. Yeah. And like, when I take my mom to a bookstore, it's running commentary and questions. And there's yeah. not that there's anything wrong with that. So she doesn't listen to the podcast anyway because she doesn't know how to download the podcast. <laughs> but it's it really, but it's, it's very, and I know she thinks it's weird that I'm just like, why are we talking? Yeah. And I think it's weird that she's. Constantly, she's constantly talk. talking, yeah. Like, or like, we'll go to lunch because we go to lunch on Wednesdays, and I'm perfectly happy, like, sort of like kind of hanging chit- out for a minute, like chit chatting, and you know, yeah, but not having like a long and like she feels the need to fill the space. Or when we've gone on like car trips together, like, and I will just not talk, and she, yeah, needs to fill that space. And I think that's, and I don't think one is right or wrong, but. You know, if I were to, if I wasn't related to her and I was, like, meeting people and right. socially, 
I would feel kind of intimidated or overwhelmed by that need to fill the space all the time. Right. Um, Because that's just not... And I talk a lot. Like, I think I talk a lot. Obviously, we talk a lot, you know? I just... um, (laughs) Yeah, but I didn't really like how it felt like he was invalidating the different kinds of relationships that people have and the way that people can connect with each other because you know I mean I've made some really good friends through social media you know and but that doesn't mean I mean there are times when I don't tweet for three days it's not a big deal you know what I mean like or I'm not on Twitter for three days because I am busy because yeah, I like, had piano. I had like twenty pianos to tune in two weeks a few weeks ago, and I that did not was have crazy. time for Twitter that week. That was you know? kind of, that was kind of badass. Like with all your piano <laughs> tuning, I have to say. No, I it, it's it is it's interesting how there's sort of this clamoring towards this idea, and I think it's reflected. And this is finally we're twenty six minutes in, but I think this is reflected in this sort of. Um, I wouldn't call it a trend because I don't think you can just be like, oh, this thing is happening a bunch of times, you know, like seven times, and so it's a trend. Like, that's not what trend means. But at the same time, (laughs) but this idea of, I like to call it nostalgia lit, which is like, like, whether it's, you know, sort of lightweight historical fiction or even things where, like, a character is obsessed with the 80s, which just seems to be the favorite one. Yeah. Um, this idea of the sort of throwback to where there's not technology and, like, experiences are more real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, Lindsay Levitt wrote Going Vintage, uh-huh. which is about a girl who spends a year um, living like it's the 60s. Um, there's, oh, there's a few others on my list, um, that are along those same lines. Um, you know, the theory of everything, which is Caroluna, uh-huh. Carrie Luna, um, you know, that's about a girl who's obsessed with the eighties mm-hmm. and sort of kind of tries to live like a person in the eighties. Um, there's, you know, uh, pretty much all of Rainbow Rowell's books kind of specialize right. in that you know, nostalgia, where it's not, none of those things are really rooted in history. Like, I'm going to be an asshole and say that. Like, as much as, like, I loved Attachments. Like, I really liked the book yeah, Attachments. Yeah, I do like, too, yeah. Um, but, it's a book that I recommend highly often. Yeah, that's it. And, but regardless of that, it's not like, not like some of the other books I have read that are, you know, set in the same, that are historical and have a very definite historical flavor. Yeah, Like, it's, it's a setting, not... You know, that's why I sort of invented this term, nostalgia lit, and I think it's very clever. But there's others as well. Um, and I do think there's this this thing where people want to see, like, what, what if we don't have yeah. these things in our lives? Yeah, the world without smartphones. Oh, the 80s, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and not, uh, I mean, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's always interesting, like watching. I, you know, I watch a lot of Netflix. Yeah, because we don't have cable anymore. And um, watching some of the older shows. watching the older shows when like they just actually the Gilmore Girls is great because like Lorelai is obsessed with her flip phone. Yeah, like and it's so funny though because it just seems so like it's such a, like part of her character. Yeah, as well, and the way you to... see the cell phones transform yeah. throughout that series because cell phones made a big leap during the course of that, that show's show. Run. Yeah. So like you you had like the crappy little cell phone and... which I can't even believe it worked in Stars Hollow. I know. And you know what I mean? And then you had and then like by the end of it it had evolved, you know, to like the Maybe not the iPhone, no, but, but she close had a, to a I think she phone. had like a um oh you know what are the, what were those the slider the thing. slider thingy yeah, that had like the kind full of keyboard like for the texting. what were those um I don't know they start with an S what are those things called I don't know Sidekick ah yes yes the T-Mobile Sidekick the one yes. that Snoop Dogg was like yeah Snoop Lion oh I am sorry yeah. Um, Whatever, I was listening to What's My Name in My Car the other day, and he is still Snoop Dogg to me, okay? So, when you listen to What's My Name, what does he say? He doesn't say right. Snoop Lion Lion. You know, he... Okay. <laughs> yeah, so Snoop. <laughs> you know Snoop Dogg's uncle owns a barbecue joint in Portland? Yes, I do, and I haven't ever been there, but I hear yeah. it's very good. And did you know that 
Snoop Lion stood up the crowd at his show in Portland recently. I had not heard yes, that. Yes, he arrived at midnight at a venue that closes at midnight. People were not happy with Snoop Lion. They threw things. What venue was this? I can't remember. I hadn't even heard about that. I don't know how yeah. I missed that news. Yeah. That seems like the Portland Mercury blog that it I was had a, in my RSS feed. It was, I think. It, I think it was in I the Portland it. Mercury. Yeah, so... People were not happy with him. I've been really busy lately. I missed Yeah, this was like two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Maybe three. Might have been when you were tuning all those pianos. Possibly. Um, anyway, so back on my my theory about the whole nostalgia lit thing. Mm -hmm. I do think, in a sense, it's part of that sort of, like, overall, um, it's like a side effect of this, Mm -hmm. like, technology is bad. Because it's very different than reading, like... Like a historical novel that's set in a pre-smartphone era, yeah. Then when it's sort of that's kind of just the backdrop, and it takes away having to worry about the technology, it, right? It's, you know, and, and it's interesting to me to see how I feel like we've had multiple conversations recently about how authors are kind of dealing with the technology because technology is changing really fast, really fast. It's got to so be a I think challenge. It's really. It's got to be really challenging as a writer to figure out how to incorporate technology into your books and how people communicate because it's a thing that is real and is there, but is it something that will still hold up in five years? Will people even know what you're talking about if they pick up your book on the young adult shelf? Like if a teenager that in five years picks up your book from five years ago, you know what I mean? And I read something older a while back, a couple months ago, I can't remember what book it was, but it, like there were so many references of like flipping open my phone. Like there was a character kept flipping mm-hmm. open her phone and it just like amused me. Like it didn't, it wasn't disruptive or anything, but it kind right. of amused me because like who does that now? Yeah. Like who flips open their phone? They slide so, to unlock. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's gotta be challenging. It's kind of, yeah. I mean, I could see why it would be really stressful like for a writer, you just be to like, to... screw it. I'm gonna set this in 1986 and not yeah. too. <laughs> be like, oh, maybe I'll have to put cassette in a glossary, but that's okay. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, we talked about books. Go us. Yeah. So, <laughs> so are we done, Laura? Is this like the shortest podcast? We're we just like done? meandering, talking um, about how we became friends because I'm sure people are super interested in that. I think you know? people are extremely interested in how we got to be friends because I have had numerous people who follow us both on Twitter who have said to me that they thought they we grew, think that we've been think, friends for years. They think we grew up together, <laughs> which is quite amusing. Yeah, well, even. Ray just said that recently. Did he? No, not that we grew up together, but, but I mentioned that we had only been communicating right. since like 2011, and we only met in person in 2012, and he didn't believe us. Yeah, he was he flabbergasted. Was like, he's like, that can't be right. And Like, are you trying to tell me that I have known Sarah Moon for longer than Laura has? That can't be right. Yeah, and it's I mean, true, though, because I didn't start talking to you until, at, like, I didn't even join Twitter until, like... 2010, and I didn't follow you for a while. You know how long I've been on Twitter? A long time. Like, over five years. That is crazy. That is like a... What is your account number? Because you know how they have the number where they say what number you are? You know what I'm talking yeah, about, though. You I can see looked. what your number is. I haven't looked because, see, I, joined, I actually joined. But I would be really fascinated if I your number is like four digits or lower. It wouldn't be that low. <laughs> but because I, jo- I actually joined in 2007 and I didn't understand what was going on, so I quit. And then I re-signed up, like, in 2008, like, early 2008. Yeah. So it's been, I mean, yeah, in 2007 it didn't make any sense because there weren't apps. Yeah. That was very confusing when there weren't apps. Oh, that would be a problem. Yeah, it was really. You have a conversation with people if you couldn't collect them. It was actually actually pretty interesting. It was like, it was like, um, it was actually sort of pitched at that time as like a microblogging site. So it was like you were like blogging in 140 characters. Yeah, and it was also when and so the, it kind of made a flip to being more of a conversational yeah. thing. Yeah, and okay. it was also at that same time there was a thing that was really popular. It was called like you were like it was like you had a live stream. So people would like have a website that was like all of their updates from like Twitter, Facebook, and Flickr. Those Ew. were kind of the, the big things. And they would like integrate them, yeah, on like uh, on their web page, and it was called my live stream. 
And so it was kind of like an like an augment to like a blog. Oh, so okay. it was like really kind of a bloggery thing as opposed to now. I mean, like I mean, obviously, like a lot like most bloggers are on Twitter, but it's not. But I would say that was definitely that early group of people were, right. you know, and I w- I had a blog at that time as well. And um, it's but it was very it was very different than what it is now, which is. Like sort of, I was almost think of it as like a. Pu- I use it more for like a public group texting. Yeah, that and uh, just going on crazy psycho rants. I don't think your rants are psycho. I think some of them. Are. Um, and now it's like I mean it's it's very it's it's changed a lot, and in some ways it's not because everyone's trying to sort of build. Um, this is this podcast is going to be a total tangent. Sorry, guys. But, you know, there's this, so many people are um, sort of trying to build a platform for yeah, themselves. Yeah, that's exactly what I was so, doing. So, and I said that with air quotes. And I, I, so I just finished teaching a class. It was a two-week class and it was an intensive class. And it was actually um, a class on blogging because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've been involved in blogging for, since like 2005 or six. Like, it's a long time. And I've yeah. done, like, I had my own blogs and managed blogs for businesses and developed blogs for, it's something that's sort of a big part of my life. And, which is so weird. And, um, I talked to them a lot about, um, a lot of them feel pressured. This is an intro. This is actually quite mm-hmm. germane to the conversation. They feel pressured to have a platform. Like you need a yeah. personal brand and yeah. a platform and that, that How you use social media for all yeah. those things. And so yeah. we talked a lot, even though that wasn't necessarily what the class was about, we talked a lot about it because it was a really small class. And that pressure and sort of how to manage, like, feeling like you sort of need to create this, you just sort of cultivate this persona that's outside yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's just, like, how freaking hard that, one, that expectation is. And, two, how hard it is to say no to that expectation. Right. Because, like, that's a really hard thing. Like, how, like, if you're, like, you know, someone who is interested in, like, you know, organic gardening and you're told like oh you can't just like write a fun blog about your garden you have to like create a personal brand around your garden and like that's who you are and you have to like cultivate you know and you have to like your position your feelings about organic gardening aren't legitimate unless you have 2,000 followers on twitter and (laughs) no I mean these are the messages that people are getting and I mean this is not me I am in no way exaggerating or making this up like the messages people are getting that like their voice isn't valid unless they have this whole brand that they've built it's a really interesting thing, and I guess yeah. it is, like, the negative side of, hi, Rory. My dog came to say hi. Um, the sort of negative side of the technology where yeah. people often feel like they can't just sort of organically experiment with things and let it happen and see, yeah. you know, like, do I like, you know, do I like being on Twitter? Do I like talking yeah. to people? Do I want to just, like... It's an interesting thing, and I, yeah, you know, I didn't have a lot of answers for people when they would bring this up, because it's something like we kept circling back to this yeah. idea of, um, you know, the notion that, like, you have to have this platform. Yeah, like, or it's, like, the identity that you're using on social media. Does that make your relationships not as valid because that's not your real identity? Yeah. That sort of thing. I think that's a really fascinating question i'm trying to yeah. reduce my use of the word interesting so that's yeah what well that's you know what i about. have you know what i have done with the word interesting <laughs> i now say thoughtful which is like this is an interesting piece I of writing and i'll say this is a, yes intriguing is kind yeah. of my substitute often so there, there it was just very like that this particular i mean my classes are always really illuminating but this particular one like really hit the nail on the head for me and it's got me my brain sort of twisted up about this subject because people are really anxious about like that you can't just be you sort of on these yeah on these platforms like you it's all about everything has to have like an objective and it's all about building up your identity and right and I feel like at what point like if you spent so much time building something online that the sort of is your personal brand is that brand you? I yeah. mean, like, there's all this, like, weird stuff because, you know, I say you're not anyone if you can't be Googleable. Yeah. Like, and at what point is, like, what you are online driving who actually are? And right. where's that stuff? It was, it was very interesting to me, and I wish I could kind of get my head around. I wish I had better answers for people yeah. when they talk about this. I and mean, then I tell, you know, I told my students, like, you know, don't worry about building a platform. Yeah. Like, Talk about the things that excite you. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, I mean, if you have bigger aspirations to turn this into something that's part of your career or leads to, you know, other opportunities, that's great. But it will never, you will never be successful unless it's really coming from a place that's, that's really through genuine enthusiasm and passion. And I really believe that. And I think that's also why we see like bloggers and such get so burned out on things because right. when there is all that pressure. It's no longer just doing it for you. And because you have something you want to share that you think is cool and exciting, it's, it's a bigger thing than you. And that's a really hard thing to sustain. Right. But, but I've been reading yeah. Adorkable uh-huh. and the... By Sarah Manning. Sarah yeah, with two Sarah, R's. Yeah, Sarah with two R's, but no H. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the main character in... The, the two main characters... But one of them, the girl... God, what's her name? Jean, I think? That sounds right. Yeah, Jean. And uh, so she is really big online she has like a whole huge online yeah she's got like millions of twitter followers right followers she's got a blog she's got like trademark things on cafe press and etsy and And there are and there are she has like mastered the the personal branding and there are teenagers who yeah do that like that is in no way far-fetched yes there are that is a very that is something that you there's, like, celebrity teenage online personalities. And they're yeah. not, like, the reality, like, they're, like, there's that girl who's the fashion blogger who's, like, 15. Right. Who's huge. Yeah, but you see a really interesting separation. God damn it, I used that word again. Sorry. <laughs> um, you see a separation between what she seems like in person mm-hmm. and how she presents herself online. And sometimes they line up and sometimes they don't. And so... The male, and I haven't finished this book yet, but the male, his name is Michael Lee, uh, but he is really confused because he doesn't understand how what he sees of her online is the same as what he sees in person. He doesn't understand how it's the same person, you know, because of the way she presents herself differently. Um, you know, and you yeah. can... But, you know, it's not that, you know, in my professional life, I have to present myself a certain way. Like, I would not talk to one of my clients the way that I'm talking to you. And that doesn't mean that I'm not being me. Right. I'm just being my professional me with them because that's, you know, what you need to do when you have a client, you know, that is important to you. and yeah, it doesn't you, mean that I don't talk to these people and have meaningful conversations with them. No, know? it's I just, just have to present myself in a certain way, you know, and it's different with you. It's just gauging the situation and modifying that. your yeah. behavior according to the situation, which is something a lot of people don't do, which is also concerning, <laughs> I will say. Someone who works at a college, like, and I just like, want to say if any of you are in college, I would give you the advice, please don't wear booty shorts to class. That is my bit of advice. <laughs> and I'm talking men and women because I've seen them both. <laughs> and actually, it's kind of worse with the men, I will say. There's just a lot more to sort of hang out of the booty shorts <laughs> for for the men than the women. Just throwing that out there to the world. Also, mesh shirts, not appropriate for professional situations. Fan. Unless you are, you know, you work in a club of some sort. No judgment. <laughs> Don't laugh. I'm being polite here. Anyway, that was my bit of wisdom for the day. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, yes. Game, judging a situation and modifying your behavior appropriately. Yeah. Or just thinking, yeah, just the kind of, there's the discrepancy between the online and the in-person yeah. thing. And um, I, just because I haven't finished the book yet, I don't know how it's all going to come together. But, you know, you... It does kind of come together, you know, if you get to know somebody. Yeah, there's you know. an intersection. But, I mean, I do, really do feel strongly that just because a smartphone makes things fast and immediate and communications-wise fast and immediate and kind of easy to do, it doesn't mean that the relationships that are forged through it are not valid, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, because people, that. you know, people what? have been pen pals or people who have long distance phone relationships so they're totally valid things as well no so. I think that's I and I actually don't see that as necessary I don't see the I have the, long de- long distance texting relationships yeah you know I don't like, see the, thing, you know? the 
ultimately at their core, I don't see the difference between, um, like the pen pal relationships of the eighties. Which did you have a pen pal back in the day? Yeah, that didn't really work. You know, I wasn't I, very good at the. Pen I pal was thing. assigned a pen pal in Germany, and I think my pen pal was kind of an asshole. Because, like, my school had a pen pal relationship with another, you know. Yeah. That was, like, a big thing in the 80s. And my pen pal, like, wrote back to me once, and I wrote back, and then she never wrote back. So, like, everyone else's pen pal was, like, really good, and my pen pal sucked. So. But I don't see necessarily see those um, relationships as any different from <laughs> the sort of relationships that are, um, you know, those. It's If you've seen the video, and it's quite, it's quite tar- charming, it will, like, make you tear up. Of the two um, women who had been pen pals for like fifty years, I didn't see the video. One but was I did in Texas the about it. Yeah. yeah, one was in Texas and one was in Australia, and yeah. they've been pen pals for fifty years or forty-five yeah. years. And they finally met, which is really cool. Yeah. And they, they had all these really neat parallels in their lives, like things that ha- like similar things that mm-hmm. happened to them, and like over the years, like they shared these, you know, these uh, these experiences. But I don't necessarily see that experience any different from like how you and I met although we didn't take 45 years yeah but I mean we communicated on you know Twitter and via email for a really long time before we met in person and then Laura made me start a damn blog I didn't make you do anything (laughs) who the hell can make you do anything I cannot believe you would even say that to me I'm just being I'm just being being a shit (laughs) It's, it is actually quite difficult to make you do anything. I have, I, have, I would say, an epic level of stubbornness. It's it's quite something. It's got to be like that Korean last name because Koreans are like epically stubborn. Well, so you know, Germans like me. Germans are. Yeah, it's the stereotype, and I will yeah. say it's not untrue. <laughs> I, I will say. I mean, you have met my mother. Yes, I have. Talk about not being, like, I will at least, like, negotiate a, a settlement if I don't want to do something. Like, yeah. we will, I can come to a compromise of some sort, a give and yeah. take, per se, you know. My mother is, like, the queen of digging in her heels. So, you know, if she doesn't want to do something, whew. Anyway. <laughs> all right. So, technology. Yeah, so I just don't think it's to blame for all of these evil things that Louis C.K. thinks it is to blame for well, to bring I, it back to the original thing. I mean, he also kind of, I mean, not that uh, we're going to, he touched on the cyberbullying topic a little ugh. bit, and I do it, think cyberbullying is a problem. It's a huge a problem. real problem. But he seems to be under the impression that if the bully can see your face, then it will decrease the bullying, which is, in my experience, as somebody having been bullied throughout middle school, is completely and utterly untrue. <laughs> it's it's kind of, uh, quite frankly, it's sort of giving bullies way too much credit for being for insightfulness. I mean that they, yeah. it, there's there's not that it, it, yeah that was like if they see that they've hurt your feeling. All it does is encourage them more. That's what they want. They're often know? motivated by that. Um, so I don't really agree with that. I don't know yeah. what that has to do with books, but I really felt no. I really, it. I, I do, but I do think. I mean, and I've seen this. This is this particular thing has like it's been sort of, you know, amidst all the like other like nonsense that's happening in the book world, between like Jonathan Franzen being an idiot and you know is like. <laughs> You know, it was him. He was the one in the middle who was talking about Twitter and people need to, yeah, people need, people on Twitter need to just shut up and like reflect. He was the one who went on the crazy rant. That was the other one. Um, I mean, I don't spend my life on Twitter 24-7. I mean, I know people do. I mean, I I do use Twitter on a regular basis, but not all the time. I think people think I'm on Twitter all the time, which amuses me. Really not. Like, I sort of do this, like, like, I'll do, like, I'll, you know, be working for, like, 45 minutes, and then I'll take, like, a five-minute break, you know, and, like, kind of dink around on, probably more like 10 minutes, like, dink around on the internet, and then go back to what I was doing. I mean, that's, that's just how I, I can't just sit and stare at a computer screen for four hours straight. I, you know, have to sort of futz around and, like, get a break in my day, but... Anyway, I lost my total train of thought. Anyway, but I think that that it's interesting to me that that 
has gotten what he's talking about has gotten some traction, particularly in the book world. Like because social I think of it media as, is evil. And... Yeah, because I think so much of like the way like like books online have really it's a really thriving community, mm-hmm. and I think like the internet has become such a way for people to discover books. Yeah, as fewer and fewer people have access to you know libraries and high quality bookstores, and, right? You know that's where a lot of people turn, and so it's fascinating to me that that's that still resonated so much with that community. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly as it tend, I would assume that people who are like obsessed about books probably tend to skew towards more of the people who are okay being alone, um, which is sort of his critique. But I also think it speaks to, you know, I every time I hear someone like someone talking about like the importance of like social reading and like if you, you – follow this at all i have not yeah are you talking about like kind of like the online book club kind of thing kind of but also about? but actually like integrating social into like reading apps and that sort of thing oh because there's this idea that and there's a lot of interesting stuff out there and i, I i'll dig up some articles um to post with this but one of the things that you know, publishers and, like, other people who promote books. Yeah. They haven't been able to crack is this sort of idea. Because reading is, by its very nature, a fairly solitary activity. Right. And, you know... I mean, it's kind of unavoidable in that Yeah, way. I mean, you're sitting there, whether your book is digital or it's, you know, physical. Audio or whatever. Whatever. Or, yeah. Like, it's a fairly... Like, it's getting your attention and you... Yeah. And I can't really be doing a lot of other things you know, while I'm with reading. With the advent of digital, you know, they there's this idea that, you know, everyone else can tap into social... And, um, make social sort of be a thing. So, like, you know, like, get glue, people check in and watch TV, and they tweet about the TV shows they watch. Like, TV has probably done that better than any other form of entertainment or media. Mm -hmm. I mean, TV really owns the web in terms of, um, you know, really, um, leveraging social. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the way people say it in the business. And, (laughs) (laughs) in the business. And, um, but it's still, like, that nut is a really tough one for people who are concerned with selling books to crack. Like, that, you know, that just, like, how do you make reading social? And it's fascinating to me because, you know, they, there's, you know, various attempts to, like, integrate, like, sharing, like, highlights, um, as you're reading and showing what other people, like, you know, Kendall has, obviously has where you can turn on the, um, function where you can see what the most highlighted passages are. Right. And they're also starting to integrate with Goodreads. Yeah, and they're starting to integrate with Goodreads. And most people turn, like, the, the showing the popular highlight stuff, most people turn that off. Yeah. Like, people don't want their reading experience disrupted at that level. Yeah. Because, like, reading is such a personal, sort of, like, intimate experience, and so and it's so interesting, like, there's still this, like, we've got to figure out how to make the reading experience, like, leverage social to make, like, the TV people have done. Yeah. And there's always, like, some new thing, new service that's going to make this, the reading social. And, um, you know, it just doesn't seem to be something that they're able to crack. And I think there's yeah, a reason for that. Yeah, and it seems like it'd be something really hard because the advantage of television is that, I mean... You might be on a different coast, so you might have mm-hmm. be in a different time zone. But a lot of times, there's a lot of people watching this one thing for the first time at the same time. Right. That's not the case with books. Right. That it's, doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen. You know, and unless they were to, I don't even... I mean, even the, like, the Tumblr book club thing that yeah. they started. I mean, that's another attempt to sort of leverage social with books. Right. And it's, I mean, it seems to be, I mean, I think Tumblr's a natural fit for that type of thing because uh-huh. it's such a, you know, the idea of, like, fandoms, which right. is a word I hate. No offense to anyone who's, like, involved in fandoms. I actually hate the word. Like, yeah. I think it is an awkward word. I don't like the way it sounds. Um... You know, they're very involved in Tumblr, but right. even with that said, like, like that's probably one of the better attempts to sort of leverage social in terms right. of, like, a community reading experience. But it seems like they keep trying, various people, publishers, platforms keep trying to sort of create this community reading experience and make reading something it's not. And 
that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Because, like, even we're in a book club. Yeah. That we talk about, like, on every podcast, basically. <laughs> because and, we love our book club so yeah, much. Yeah, and, like, even our book club, I mean, it's not like we all sit around and read together. Yeah. It's like we read on we, our own schedule at our we own We think pace, about it, and then we come together and, we, and talk about it and later. talk about it later, and it's actually a really cool thing because there's yeah. so many different perspectives and yeah. so many different things that sort of people bring to the table. But Yeah, and, like, you learn, so, you, you might get a different perspective, you know, be like you know I never really thought of this book that way that's not what I got yeah. out of it, you know because reading is one of those things where you get something different out of it depending on who you are you know with television there's like a visual thing that's right there and it's the same thing that everybody else is seeing yeah and if we were know? all like if we were in like a television club which would be kind of fun actually it would be. um if we were in like a television club and we were all like say watching an episode of a tv show together like, I imagine, like, our reactions and, our, and interactions with whatever the media would be would be different it, than if we all yeah. went and, like, watched it separately and then came. It, it's right. it's fascinating to me, this this idea, like, that there's almost something inherently flawed with reading because it's not social. Yeah. And so we need to figure out a way to make it social. Yeah. Like social is the thing. And it's, I mean, I know it's just, like, the buzzword, too, and it's all, like, because of, like, ad agencies or what have you, but... I blame everything on ad agencies. Like, if there's something that's, like, really bugs me and I can't figure out what is wrong with it, I'm like, ah, ad agencies. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I'm really fascinated by this, like, almost idea that there's something, like, inherently flawed in reading because you can't, no one is yet able to make it social. Yeah. And you've been seeing, have you seen our, well, no, McKinney Library, how they're trying, they've added, like, social features to, Yeah, like, I have not really can, done like, anything with those. No. I, I spent, sort of as an intellectual exercise, I spent some time, like, exploring it, because I was curious what the hell they were trying to do. Yeah. Um, but they're definitely, they're trying, like, you can follow people, and you can, you know, do various things to, I don't know why the garage band is looking wonky. I was just wondering how yeah. long we've been talking. Um, I'm paying attention. <laughs> do various social things to, like, make using the library more social. Yeah. And the thing I love about the library is that it's so freaking antisocial. Yeah. Like, it's... The it's, thing that I've always loved about the library is that you go in there and it's quiet. It's so and quiet. It's I mean, and there are areas where people are talking, but I think by and large a library is still a place where you can go and you're not supposed to... Yeah. You know, it's a nice, reflective kind of place where people can just go, you know, there are stalls set up so you can sit by yourself. Or there can be a big table with lots of chairs, yeah. but everybody sits at one table but is doing their own thing. And that's something that I've always really liked about it. Yeah, and I think... It's you, communal, you know, almost, but not, And again, you know? like, this trying to make the library more social is, again, almost speaking back to that thing that we were talking about an hour ago, which was <sighs> this idea that if you're not in a social experience... Yeah. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. And I don't think that's, like, that... That really bothers me. Yeah. Like, that you have to be in, like, like an actively social experience to be doing whatever the thing is you're doing yeah. correctly. So, like, there's something inherently incorrect about reading because it's not actively yeah. social. The library needs to be corrected so it can be more social. The, you know, it's like yeah. all these things need to sort of, like, be corrected to, to fit this model of what the proper type of interaction is. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me. It's, you know. No, no, it is fascinating. And it just, I mean, I can... Um, just the judgments on how people are communicating with each other and, you know, how they make their connections with other people, like, and the way people pass judgment on it. It's, it's very, very fascinating subject. <laughs> it is. It's really interesting. So, I mean, I... I and actually, and now that I think, like, really, aside from sort of the weird, like, you know, the nostalgia lit thing, but, like, when we start talking about, like, we should end this podcast, because now my brain is, yeah. like, working. Um, but it kind of goes back to, and I think we talked about this, like, a few weeks, a few episodes ago. Yeah. Um, you know, about when we talked about the best friend, um, the best friend podcast we did. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's like there's... It's that sort of correcting this big character flaw by helping, like, if there is an introverted, sort of alone-type character, they need to find, like, part of their, their journey friend. is finding their best friend. Yeah. Um, you know, or if that friendship is fractured, like, yeah. repairing it. You know, that, it, it kind of goes back to, this is like a theme we just keep circling back yeah. to, isn't it? 
And it's an interesting tent. Like, it's sort of like if you get all meta, like, it's like, oh, this is a podcast, which is like kind of a social thing. And it's like technology. And, you know, it's ah, yeah. brain. But it's, it is sort of that same topic we just keep circling back to of, um, you know, introversion versus extroversion. Yeah. Like, but that's it's like not really theme. like a competition. No, it's me, not a competition yeah. at all. It's like there's... But I think there are va- there's value in both things. And I... But I think that the world tends to value extroversion more. Yeah, and I think so. that also might be why folks have seen that, like, him talking about, like, how, well, you need to, like, be alone is, like, groundbreaking. Yeah. Because people don't even really Yeah, maybe, think and, you about know, and that. I didn't really think about it that way. But I didn't that, either yeah. until just now. That's why it's... <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's kind of what he was trying to say, but... Being alone, I don't like necessarily a problem. That I, I don't have. necessarily think that that's what he was trying to say, yeah. but I think that might be something that people are taking out of it. Yeah, you know, sort of like it's okay to be alone thing. Yeah, um, because I think people are often told that it's not okay. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so are there any other books we should talk? About? Oh, Jacqueline Moriarty. Oh has yeah, the epistolary books that uh, Ashbury Brooksfield series. Yeah, uh, like the, the Ghost of Ashbury High. That's the. The last one, oh, I think. But the I first one the first is... One. They have different titles if you're on Australia or the U.S., yeah. but the, the Feeling Sorry for Celia, I think, is the first one in the series, and then The Year of the Secret Assignments is the second, and then The Murder of Bindi McKenzie is the third. And those three rely very heavily... Well, they all rely heavily on kind of using different... Uh, they have a very unconventional format, but the first three in particular, and the first two use letters primarily, mm-hmm. and then the third one, Bindi, um, and Bindi has a really special place in my heart. I really like Bindi a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but she's one of those people where I think people really misunderstand her, mm-hmm. and she means well, but she's so awkward, and she doesn't know how to communicate with people. But you, But you see where she's coming from based on what she's writing and what she's thinking because mm-hmm. she puts all of this down on paper. And uh, so I really like Bindi. Anyway, but those yeah. are good epistolary novels. I haven't read, I haven't read those books and I need to, cause they seem like books I would like. I really like them. You know, it's one of those things where I didn't rate any one of those books above four stars, but it's like a five-star series. As like a collection. As like, a whole. Like, and I feel the same way about Jessica Darling, where I gave all of those books four stars, but when I think about that... as a series, As a whole series, are... I'm just like, that's a five-star series, though, for me. You know what I need to read, actually, is, um, it makes me think of it, is Jennifer E. Smith's This Is What Happy Looks Like. Um, oh, I yeah, didn't, I haven't read that one. I didn't love, actually, I didn't like particularly, oh, I try not to be mean. Like, I really, like, don't like to sound nasty. Like, yeah. it's just, it's something I really try not to do. I didn't like the statistical probability of love at first sight. Okay. I, I thought it was immensely problematic. Yeah. Like, the fam, the way the family stuff was handled. But I'm interested in this is what happy looks like because the, um, the hook of that story is about two characters who meet because of a an, an misdirected email. Oh. And I'm real, like, that's just, I'm really interested in that. I mean, I think yeah. that's also why I liked Attachments so yeah, much. Yeah, and I really thought, and, if you read Attachments, it's an email relationship. Like, these yeah. two girls don't hang out outside of work. Yeah. You know, they barely even see each other work. And they're yeah, they're both in their at cubicles. Their emailing each other all day yeah. long. And, you know I mean? and I think that I'm really interested in that, like, stories that have that sort of, like, that hook where characters come together because they're because of you know non-traditional communication whatever right. that may be and it just because I'm a nerd I think yeah but I'm I've been meaning to read this is what happy looks like because and I've, I've like I like got it from the library and then yeah. like I didn't get to it and there was a hold on it so I couldn't renew it and I was really pissed mm-hmm. um, but you know the first section is emails. Yeah. And I just, I think that's, I don't think that is an unusual experience, not necessarily a misdirected email, but for a lot of people, I don't think that's, you know, an an unusual experience for how they meet people. So I'm interested in that, um, that particular topic. So if anyone's listening and has read that book, let me know if I should read it because I like the premise. And I I had trouble thinking about books that kind of have these kind of non-traditional types of 
like where the origin of the relationship or the friendship was kind of a non-traditional form yeah, of communication. It's a, so if anybody has any suggestions, please let me know because I really love yeah, these kind of stories. I, had, I do too, and I really I I had a hard time coming up coming up with those as well. I mean, yeah, because I think you know, like the reality TV thing is sort of like you, there's a few books that sort of have that hook, which is kind of a non-traditional thing, right? Um, and you know, but. Uh, there isn't a lot out there, and it's really strange. Actually, you'd think that, um, actually, this is a funny one, in, um, which I know you haven't read, but The Story Guy by Marianne Rivers, the two main characters in that novella, it's it's like 120 pages or so, mm-hmm. um, meet because of a personal ad, oh. and, yeah, and they have an email thing at, fir- at yeah. first, but... Like, I don't think that's necessarily a um, an unusual experience for people. Like, I think that's very, very common. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, like, not for um, a romantic relationship, but, you know, I found a roommate through a newspaper ad once. And then when I moved out to Portland, I found my roommate before I moved out here. I found him through, like, roommates.com, like, on the yeah. internet. You know, so... And, you know, in both of those cases, it ended up working out really well, you know? Yeah, and I just, so I can't this think of... Total I, validity to non-traditional forms, you know, yeah, besides meeting in person been, at a bar. Yeah, and know? I've been trying to think of more... I pick up my friends using technology. I know. <laughs> Laura, Laura is cruising the internet for friends. I'm, I'm really good at it, apparently. Um... <laughs> No, I really, it was really, because I was looking through my list, my list of books, and, like, there are a hell of a lot of, like, meet-cutes, you know, in fiction. Yeah. But there aren't a whole lot of, I mean, the list I was able to come up with is pretty pathetic. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I think that it can be a meet-cute. Like, I think Jacqueline Moriarty does a really good job doing meet-cutes via letters and yeah. things like that, so... I believe my husband is playing my ukulele. That is really oh. amusing. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Anyway, so we would love, if you guys have more suggestions, because I would actually like to read more along those lines. Yeah, me too. And um, I have had actually, when I was doing research, because we, believe it or not, as unprofessional as this whole outfit may sound, we actually research before we talk, do this podcast. <laughs> Despite the was, fact that we totally meandered this whole yeah, today, but you know... Hopefully you guys I have like some, it. I have some hard-hitting topics in the coffer, though. <laughs> I started making a list. Watch out. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Lord all right, me. so you guys can all look forward to those. I don't yeah. even know what they are yet. Anyway, so, <laughs> so we would love to hear um, your guys' thoughts on this sort of meandering subject. Like, do you feel like technology has... You know, enhanced your or, no. It hasn't you know. enhanced your like life personally. Hasn't enhanced your life as a reader. Um, do you feel? Do you sometimes feel the the sort of like negative effects of technology, like you know, Louis C.K. pointed to? Um, yeah, where you feel y- dependent on it. Where, or, yeah, where you feel beholden to it, right. or that like you're there's you know you're almost defined by your online persona. I mean, I think these are right. all really. I think these are questions to which there's not a lot of. There's a lot of layers to those questions right and i don't have the answers but i definitely think that the sort of black and white dichotomy that's sort of been laid out by him and it seems to be getting traction um sort of as a you know like as a black and white debate is kind of bullshit yeah (laughs) it's not black and white not at all so i'll just end it like it's bullshit (laughs) (laughs) all right guys <laughs> okay, with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all around nerdy badassery at clearEyesFullShelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until next time, clear eyes, full shelves, can't lose.